As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by Symbol. Guys, we have a brand new sponsor that you guys are going to love. Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. On Symbol, you can trade sports teams like stocks, and every time your teams win, you can earn cash. Use your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Join the nearly 7,000-plus early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams. Visit www.symbol.com to create a free account. And when you deposit, make sure you use the promo code SD, as in sports drink, to make your deposit risk-free. Again, that's www.symbull.com and use the promo code SD and your deposit will be risk-free. That means even if you lose money, Symbol will refund your initial deposit, no questions asked. Join Symbol and start investing and profiting from your favorite teams. <laughs> this episode is also brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Guys, the Spotify Green Room is a live, audio-only sports talk platform. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. Get in on the conversation that you listen to here every single day and have a chance to be featured on your favorite podcast like this one. Download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS App Store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join my group. Follow me at Larry D-E-E. It's, uh, I don't know why they didn't let me use D period, but they didn't. So follow me at Larry D-E-E to be notified when my room goes live every Wednesday, 7 o'clock Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, and join me when we go live every Wednesday night at Club 34-7. What's up, guys? We are back. Bye week is officially in the rearview mirror, and we look ahead to the final eight games of the season, starting with Sunday's matchup against the Baltimore Ravens. And, um, yeah, should be interesting. The uh, Lamar Jackson versus Justin Fields uh, matchup. Uh, be interesting to see can Nagy in this dire situation that his career is currently in finally get a team prepared and ready to play coming off a bye week, which he has yet to do even in his glorious debut season of 2018. We lost both of our bye matchups. We, we lost to the Dolphins coming off of our regular bye, and we lost to the 2-8 and eight Giants, 3-8 and eight Giants coming off of our mini bye after Thanksgiving uh, against the Lions. So it was the only loss that we had in the second half of the season, too. We went 7-1 and one down the stretch uh, in the second uh, in the last eight games uh, of that year. And our, our one loss was an overtime stinker to the Giants coming off of that bye week. So, you know, Matt Nagy has a lot to uh, prove as far as uh, getting his team ready to, to play a very important game. We're looking to snap a four-game losing streak. We're looking to kick off the second half of the season uh, properly. We're doing this at home thanks to the flip-flopping schedule that always has us uh, alternating sites. 
uh, and everything. Looking to build off of the momentum from the Monday night game, offensively especially, uh, with uh, our highest point total uh, of the season. Uh, Justin Fields seemingly improving with every drive in the uh, in the Steeler game uh, and everything. There's a lot of anticipation around this game um, because you know it's it's the Bears coming back off the bye, the quarterback matchup. The Bears haven't won a game since early October. I think October what tenth? I think was the yeah October tenth was the Raider game. Sunday will be November twenty first. So. Is it 21st? Yeah. November 21st is Sunday. So, yeah. Been a while since the Bears uh, have gotten to go to Club Dub, and it's been even longer since they had to go to Club Dub at home because that last victory, believe it or not, was on the road uh, to the Raiders. So, uh, yeah. A lot of work to do. And um, here to help us, uh, uh, you know, talk us through it and in, inform us on, on the Ravens who – are polar opposites of the Bears in as far as their record is concerned, but also about the, as, as similar as they can be in the fact that their results have been uneven. You know, the Ravens are 6-3 and three, uh, right now, but they've, they've had some dominating top-flight performances mixed in with some they-just-barely-eked-by kind of wins. Remember, when we were talking to our good friend, Jeremy Reisman for the for going into the Detroit game, they were coming off the heels of losing to the Ravens after Justin Tucker kicked a 66-yard NFL record field goal. That was the game before they played the Bears. So the Ravens needed an NFL record 66-yard field goal to beat the Lions on the road, uh, what, 10, 8 weeks ago, whatever it was. And, um, you know, then they... they 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 go and they they annihilated the LA Chargers, just destroyed Justin Herbert and that unit. And then a week later, Joe Burrow and uh, the Bengals destroy the Bengals, forty-one to seventeen in Baltimore before they headed into their bye. Then coming off the bye, they 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 needed overtime to beat the Vikings, and then they got trucked last week by the. Uh, Miami Dolphins on Thursday night football. So they're also coming off a little bye uh, of their own. So these should be some well-rested teams coming in. Uh, we'll look more at the injury report tomorrow on uh, Friday, and uh, or at least you'll be listening to it on Friday anyway, and uh, see how it all goes and um, see who's, who's coming back. Is Khalil Mack finally going to be ready to go? The injuries to Eddie Jackson, uh, Akeem Hicks, and, and so on. Will they be uh, ready to go and play on Sunday against the Ravens? Or are we going to be shorthanded uh, like we were against the Steelers? So, anyway, let's go ahead and, and dive into this and get into the show. This is the Week 11 preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground featuring Kevin Ostriker from Locked On Ravens. So, let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. out loud. Week number 11. Has our beloved Chicago Bears uh, coming off of the bye, returning home to Soldier Field. Uh, the NFL scheduling group was kind enough to account for the bye week when they were going through this away home, away home alternate schedule. So you figured that we were away for the Steelers. We should have been home during the bye week and then away week 11. But no, 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 no. 
We are home week 11 for the Ravens and here to help us preview this Bears Ravens matchup for Sunday from Locked On Ravens, Kevin Ostracker. Kevin, welcome back to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Larry. I had, I had a blast the first time we talked and now we're here. You know, week 11, Ravens, Chicago, a game that I do think has the potential to get really interesting. I believe so too. And, uh, but there's one thing I just want to put it out there just so you're uh, aware of it. Uh, our head coach and his record coming off of buys is atrocious. Uh, he is winless coming off of buys uh, in his short tenure uh, as our head coach and his uh, scoring percentage coming off of mini buys, which is what you guys are coming off of. Uh, VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Also bad. So for whatever reason, extra time to get prepared means worse performances from the team. So I think you guys, even though you're favored coming into this thing, you're in good shape as far as that goes, unless, you know, the world is tilted on its axis and Matt Nagy has figured out how to get his team prepared off two weeks rest. Yeah, well, it's kind of like the opposite of John Harbaugh. Harbaugh has been very good coming off yes. of buys during his tenure with the Ravens. So, you know, something where they got that overtime win against the Vikings in Week 9, and then they have the short turnaround on the short week against Miami, a game where everybody expects the Ravens to go in there, and the Dolphins are playing bad football. They can't run the ball. They can't throw the ball. And the Ravens' offense just can't get anything done. They can't get anything going. And... They lose that game, so the Ravens are in need of a win in Chicago. I had expressed the importance before the Week 9 game against Minnesota that it was it was really important for the Ravens to go 3-0 and in the stretch of Weeks 9, 10, and 11. And the game that they arguably couldn't lose, they did lose in Miami because it's an AFC conference game, whereas for Minnesota and Chicago, those are NFC opponents. Sure, sure. Well, let's talk about your Ravens. Um, you know, my dad turned me on to a new streaming service, as I mentioned before, the show that kind of gives me – NFL Sunday ticket access to uh, the various games uh, on Sunday. So I've had a chance to dip in on the Ravens from time to time, not to mention they've played, what, three or four national TV games already. The Monday night, week one, Sunday night, uh, week two, uh, this past uh, Thursday, they were on, you know, Thursday night football. So even if I wasn't tracking the Ravens, I'd have been able to stumble upon them pretty much a handful of times already. And even though you have a six and three record, you had a five-game winning streak there after the week one loss to the Raiders. There have been a lot of uneven performances week to week uh, for the Ravens. You, you know, you come out, you score 36 to beat the Chiefs. Week two, you barely squeak by the Lions. Week number three, it takes an NFL record field goal doinking off the crossbar to get the win uh, in Detroit. You, you, beat, you beat Denver. You have to come back against the uh, Colts the week after that. You annihilate the Chargers, then get annihilated by the uh, uh, excuse me, Bengals before the bye week, and then it takes overtime to beat the, the Chargers. And then this past Thursday, the loss to the uh, Dolphins. 
Uh, you know, so how, how what, what's going on with the team that it's like they look like the best team in the AFC one week only to look like, you know, uh, you know, also Rans the week after. Yeah, I think the word is inconsistency. Yeah. And the key storyline of, I think, why that is, is injuries. This okay. is a team that has just gone through injury after injury after injury over the course of the 2021 season. Even beforehand, you know, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Marcus Peters, L.J. Oh, Ford, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All, all those guys have been out, and it's just constantly, almost every single week, it feels like the Ravens lose a key contributor, whether it's for a couple weeks or a couple months or the season. And... Based off of what they've done so far, I've been impressed, but that doesn't mean they're a perfect team. No team is a perfect team, and I think for an offense, starting up front is really important on that offensive line because regardless of how good your quarterback is or how good your running backs are, if there's a defender in the backfield within one or two seconds, there's not a lot players can do, and Lamar Jackson's one of the best escape artists in the NFL, and sometimes there's not even a ton he can do with it. So yeah. the offensive line is missing Ronnie Stanley, who's an all-pro caliber player. He just wasn't right after his ankle injury. He suffered in the middle of 2020. He played one game, didn't look like the same player. The Ravens were trying to work with him through recovery options, and ultimately he decided to have another ankle surgery. So they were missing that all-pro presence. They move Alejandro Villanueva over to the left side, where he played in Pittsburgh for a while. He's been inconsistent. They got Patrick McCarry at right tackle, who was filling in admirably, playing really well. And then he gets a high ankle sprain. He's been out for the past couple of weeks. It's unclear at this point whether he'll play against the Bears. The interior has been okay. The left guard position's been, you know, kind of a, a turnstile in terms of players they've dealt with injuries there. Bradley Bozeman at center, Kevin Zeitler, right guard, have been playing well and have been consistent. But it starts there. The running back position hasn't been the same. The Ravens are losing Le'Veon Bell. He just did not have the same juice. Fonta Freeman's looked better. Latavius Murray's looked okay, but they're not J.K. Dobbins. They're not Gus Edwards. So they've had to kind of shift their offensive identity. The passing offense has looked great for the most part. Lamar Jackson's taken a big leap. The receivers, Marquise Brown, Rashad Bateman coming in, Sammy Watkins, Mark Andrews. They've played well, but at the same time, it's been a shift. And Mm -hmm. The Ravens, they haven't been getting a lot of out of their run game outside of Lamar Jackson. That's been the big issue for them this year. And on defense, they're missing Marcus Peters. They lost to Sean Elliott for the year. It was just announced Derek Wolf is probably going to miss the entire season after he was put on the 21-day practice window and all of a sudden the, the back injury flares up or something. It, it was, it's really not clear, but he's going to be done. So, you know, I could go on and on and on. We'd be here sure. for hours if I kept talking about injuries. But I think that's the key word and the key reason why the team's been so inconsistent and had to come from behind and win some football games. And maybe it hasn't been the exact way people are used to having the Ravens win over the Lamar Jackson area, which has been by ball control offense and blowouts. Yes, I mean that definitely explains just the performances that that I've seen the uh week 1 uh against the Raiders jumping out in front and then having the Raiders uh come back that one goes to overtime uh the Colts game was uh was the same thing they jump out they jump out in front of you and you're the ones that had to uh come back you overtook them got the lead and was able to uh, to hang on. And then, you know, if, if ever there was a game where it looked like it was just poised for the Ravens to break the scoreboard on somebody this past Thursday night uh, against the Dolphins, and they kind of shut you guys down. Um, you know, if I didn't get to watch much of the game, if, ironically enough, for all that I have seen, I didn't get to watch the Thursday nighter um, uh, as much. What was the what was the catalyst there? I mean, I, I understand the Dolphins played an outstanding defensive performance, but what was it that they were doing that uh, that that got you guys from getting anything going on offense? 
Yeah, I think the main thing was they were blitzing and they were doing it well and effectively and a lot. The Ravens just did not adjust. And it was really, you know, cover zero, cover zero, cover zero. All Ravens players, Ravens coaches identified it after the game as something they just could not adjust to. You know, it falls on the players, it falls on the coaches. Greg Roman had a terrible game for the most part in this one. You know, he's he's been, I, I've been actually kind of impressed with him overall in terms of what he's been able to do from an adjustment perspective. He'll have a bad quarter. This season he's come out and he's been able to adjust for the most part, but this was not one of those games. Lamar Jackson didn't play overall very well in this one. He missed a couple throws. His receivers didn't help him out. The offensive line played poorly. I mean, usually the Ravens defense allowed just one def- one offensive touchdown to the Dolphins. It came with just over two minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and usually that's enough to win a football game. You know, when a defense allows just one touchdown to an offense, usually, especially with a Lamar Jackson-led offense, you're like, oh, yeah, this is a 30-point, 40-point blowout. But it was a, it was probably the worst performance of the Lamar Jackson era. And and I give credit to Miami. You know, I don't want to discredit what they did and sure. say, oh, it was all the Ravens. The Dolphins didn't do anything. The Dolphins did a great job. They sent blitzers. The Blitzers did really nice jobs of getting Lamar Jackson out of the pocket, making him uncomfortable and really just doing everything asked of them. Javon Holland, their rookie safety, played really well, like an all-pro player. They have Xavier Howard, who the Ravens reportedly tried to trade for, so it's not like they don't have good players, but they just haven't been able to put it together, and maybe this was the spark they needed. I don't know, but this does fall on the shoulders of the offense. The loss does, and mainly, by the way, of just not being able to adjust to the Blitz. Yeah, it was, um, you know, kind of quite the uh, surprise when I was, uh, because I went to bed early on, Thursday night of all nights and waking up on Friday to to see a 22 to 10 score and then to to hear that it was flipped it's like wait the the Dolphins won 22 to 10 that's weird it's like I didn't see that coming uh uh at all as as far as uh as far as it's like I knew it was a tight game I think I watched up to halftime or something like that I believe it was close or three to nothing or, or something uh to that degree going into the half and then I guess I missed all the fireworks uh in the second half but to hear that the Dolphins were the ones that came out and um, you know, made it look easy as far as like, well, here's how you stop uh, Lamar Jackson, you know. But th- that's also kind of been the question was, you know, did the was it the Bengals that kind of exposed the uh, the Ravens as to, you know, how to slow down Lamar Jackson and the Dolphins followed that blueprint? Or was it just uh, was it just a bad day for the Ravens? No, I think it was just a bad day for the mm-hmm. Ravens. They had the short week. And- right. All things considered, I think what the Ravens can do to adjust from that game, that they'll they'll want to you know just figure out how to put together better blitz packages, slide protections, do whatever you can do to protect Lamar Jackson because when he has time to throw. And when he is comfortable in that pocket, he has shown this season and in other years as well that he can dice up NFL defenses with both his arm and with his legs. And he just did not have that time in the pocket. The Ravens offensive line right now has a bunch of, I'd say, quality pieces, but they don't have necessarily stars on it with Stanley out. And they obviously traded Orlando Brown to the Kansas City Chiefs. So Kevin Zeitler, again, a really solid veteran. I'm glad that he's blocking for Lamar Jackson. Bradley Bozeman is really coming to his own as well, but they don't have those blue chippers. So they have to kind of work with what they have with the injuries that they have been dealt. And that's been really tough with new running backs coming in and only being with the team for a couple months now in terms of you know who do they need to pick up in pass protection. It was kind of those types of things and that kind of day for the Ravens where you know Sammy Watkins fears he's going to run into the goalpost, it seems like, and he lets a touchdown drop in front of him. Marquise Brown has a couple drops. It was just, yeah, an overall just poor day for the offense for Baltimore. Yeah, and I was just looking at the, uh, the schedule 
that you have. And I, and now I understand why you, why you were saying that this, this three game stretch out of the bye was so critical with the, the Vikings, the dolphins and the bears, because your next three games are all division games. The, the, you got the Browns sandwich sandwiching the Steelers. So you got Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cleveland. Then you got the Packers at home, at least, you know, thank God for small favors there. And then you're at Cincinnati, and you guys have been looking, obviously, I'm sure you guys will know the bite at that apple. Then you have the Rams, then the Steelers again. So there's no free rides for the rest of the season after you get done uh, with the Bears. It's either divisional games or the best the NFC has to offer. Yeah, that that stretch is tough, and you're exactly right. That's exactly why I said the Ravens needed to go 3-0 because when you're looking down the pipeline to – week 17 week 18 and you're fighting for you know the ravens whether it's a wild card berth you know fighting for a spot in the playoffs or whether they're fighting for seeding if they're on top of the division whether that's the two seed versus the four seed a loss in that stretch you know really hurts them and especially as i talked about the miami loss if you're looking at conference record which can be a really big tiebreaker the ravens now have an extra loss in that column in the conference so it's going to be really important not just for the ravens to win this game against chicago but to really do it in a fashion where they can carry that confidence over to this tough stretch where you mentioned Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and in Green Bay, Los Angeles, Cincinnati, all those teams that are going to present some challenges to a Ravens team that has played very resilient over the course of the season that has impressed me with how they've been able to put together a team of guys who haven't really had a bunch of familiarity playing with each other, you know, talking about the offensive line, for example. They've been able to rally. They've been down by multiple scores in multiple games. They've come back and, and really done a great job at that. But at the same time, this team has high expectations for themselves. A lot of people have high expectations for them regardless of the injuries. And if they want to make a deep run, which obviously they do, and I think they have the talent to, they have to play a lot better than they played on Thursday. I mean, they know that. You know, it's, it's not news to them. So I think that with John Harbaugh, he he put the blame on his shoulders. He said, you know, we didn't have our guys ready to play. I think the coaching staff's going to work hard this week and really help the Ravens hopefully pick up win against Chicago for Baltimore in, in a game that they really do need. Yeah, because it's the odd thing uh, about the Bears, especially in their current state is that they seem to be really good at winning the games they have no business winning and losing the games that they should win which is why it it feels it it almost feels like we're destined to win Sunday only to give the Lions their first win four days later on Thanksgiving Day that's this weird eerie feeling I have coming into this where we have the quick turnaround this week after we play you guys we got Thanksgiving date uh with the Lions who just fought the fought the fought the fight of their lives against the Steelers, only to come up short as far as the tie game uh, this past. Uh, Sunday. Did you get to watch any of that game on Sunday? It was one of the more frustrating games I've ever sat through in my life, and I I didn't have any skin in the game at all. Hey, no, I wish I didn't. No, I'm kidding. But uh, it was it was <laughs> it was a. I watched. I think I watched right around the end of the fourth quarter through. I mean, literally the entire the entire overtime yeah. period, and it was just one blunder after the other blunder and i think you know week 10 was the worst week for the afc north this year and maybe in a maybe in a very long time it's everybody lost they run by you know yeah cleveland gets blown out by new england baltimore loses in embarrassing fashion to miami and and pittsburgh ties with the winless lions so it was a rough week for the afc north a division that really you know with the afc conference it's wide open, the AFC North. Yeah. And I think I, Baltimore still has the best odds, in my opinion, to come out on top. But, you know, what a game <laughs> that 
that Lions Steelers one was, and I will say I'm very appreciative of Justin Tucker after seeing that Lions kicker do whatever he did on that field goal kick in overtime. Yeah, and nobody, and it was like somebody had to have touched that. Somebody got a fake. Nope, that wing thing went went through clean as a whistle. It just got about six and a half feet off the ground and just landed short somehow. It was one of the ugliest kicks I've seen in a long time, and it's uh, all the explanation you need for how it was he was uh, brought up from the practice squad like the day of the game to to kick for the Lions uh, that day. So, But, yeah, a friend of mine was uh, was watching uh, another game, and I'd kind of been like just intrigued by that game uh, the whole – so I stuck with it from start to finish, whatever reason I did. And a friend of mine came in at the fourth quarter, and he's like, I've only been watching this for three minutes, and it's already pissing me off. Like, yeah, that's how this whole game has been. Watching this, and, you know, it just it was a weird, weird game. It was almost fitting that it ended uh, in a tie with the way that the game was played. Neither team really wanted to win. Neither team really deserved to win. And we have ties, so that's what that's for. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a weird, weird uh performance but um so oh you know we we have one of the more interesting probably like I was actually to be honest with you Kev I was surprised this game didn't get flexed uh because of especially after the way Justin Fields played last Monday uh against the Steelers it really was kind of like a coming out party as far as the national wide audience was concerned the way that he played in the fourth quarter led those touchdown drives almost won the game uh for the bears against the steelers and it's him and lamar jackson this is like the next generation of quarterbacks jackson's only in what year three or four justin fields and obviously in his his rookie season but these could be the guys that 10 years from now we're talking about have this intense rivalry the few times that they they manage to play each other it's always one that you want to uh, you know, make sure you've got a spot at the spot on the couch for because you don't want to miss it. And it's the first time these two guys are going to be playing uh, against each other. You know, silly to say it's Fields versus Jackson, even though that they'll never see the field against one another. But it is one of the more marquee quarterback matchups of this week. Yeah, I, I think it is, and it's it's going to be a big test for Fields because as we've seen time and time again. For young quarterbacks playing against this Don Martindale-led Ravens defense, first-year guy, second-year guy, third-year times, the, the the first time these players play against this Ravens defense, it can be a very, very long day because of just how complex the blitz packages are, what this team does with moving guys up to the line, putting them back. You know, on one on two plays, they'll send nine guys to the line. On one play, they'll rush everybody. On the next play, they'll drop all but three. So, Rookie quarterbacks do tend to have some struggles, especially playing for the first time. And an example of that is for a young quarterback playing this Ravens defense. Justin Herbert in week six, the Ravens blew out the Chargers. That was the first time that Herbert had faced this Ravens defense. He did not have a good day whatsoever. After really coming into that game, is like, oh, is he the MVP or not? Is it yeah. early MVP candidate? Then the next week in Cincinnati, that was Joe Burrow's second time playing against the Ravens defense. The first time Joe Burrow played against the Ravens defense in week five of 2020, very, very long day. Joe Burrow, that might be his worst game as a professional. Second time he plays him in week seven of 2021, you know, he blows the doors off of him, especially in the second half. So for Fields, it'll be a big test. And as a side note, you know, my my dad is Ravens fan first, but, you know, he grew up as a Minnesota fan. And mm. he wanted nothing more than the Vikings to take Justin Fields. 
you know, he was almost there. The Bears snagged him. So I'm very familiar. And also me being an Ohio State fan, you know, I'm very familiar with Fields and what he can do on the football field. And I think that he's such an exceptional talent. I'm glad they gave him the nod instead of rolling with Andy Dalton after everything that I know the Bears fans had to deal with in the preseason in terms of who's it going to be, who's it going to be. But I do think that the matchup of Jackson and Fields, two electric quarterbacks who have the potential to be faces of this league for a long time. Yeah, it's very exciting, it, and it's something that um, – and I think maybe it's because the Bears play on Thanksgiving that the game wasn't flexed to Sunday night. Uh, the NFL did that to the Bears once before. Back in 2018, they flexed a division matchup with the Vikings to Sunday night and had the Bears playing at the 11.30 a.m. kickoff for the Lions, so they had like less than 90 hours to get ready for the next game. Uh, against the Lions, so I guess maybe that had something. They that cooler heads prevailed as far as that was concerned. But I think if it was a regular week, I wouldn't have been surprised to see this one get uh, get flexed to to Sunday night, just because you know that's uh, that's a matchup I think a lot of people would like to uh, would like to see. So so let's talk about this this defense uh, of yours. Like I said, when looking at the the schedule. You know, it, it seemed like they they finally settled down about week three because week one, week two, they gave up thirty plus to the to the Ravens or excuse me to the Raiders and the and the Chiefs, and then Detroit, Denver, seventeen points, seven points, uh, Indianapolis. That was one where they kind of got out in front on you and you had to come back, but the Chargers only six points, things like that. Well, I mean, like we were talking about before, kind of uneven uh, performances uh, at times. You know, like you said, they like to come. Uh, with the blitzes, but honestly, I got to ask who plays for the Ravens now? Cause there's no Ray Lewis or anything, anybody like that anymore. You know, all the, all the old, you know, legends uh, are gone. So who exactly is filling up the, the Ravens roster uh, these days? I, I don't know uh, the names as well as I should. Yeah. Well, on the defensive side of the football, you know, I wish I could name everybody, but you know, the guys are injured so that they're missing Marcus Peters. They're missing Deshaun Elliott. They're missing Derek Wolf. They're missing LJ Fort. They're missing a bunch of guys. But Patrick Queen is his team's leading tackler with 47. He's been very up and down this season, really struggled to start off. The season has played a lot better since moving into more of a Will linebacker role. They brought in Josh Bynes to play more of the Mike as a veteran, who is, I think, really just, just calmed Queen down. I think that's been big for him. Marlon Humphrey is probably the singular biggest star right. on this defense. You know, all-pro cornerback, someone who is, in my opinion, a top-three cornerback in this league. His running mate is not Marcus Peters this season. It's Anthony Averett, who is earning himself a lot of money he's played well did not play well against Indianapolis that was his worst game by far but you know he's definitely played up to a starter level and has played well so I'm I'm excited to see what he can do over the rest of the season Chuck Clark their safety is arguably the glue of this defense he wears the green dot for them very smart high IQ football player can move all around the football field they like to use him in dime situations where they bring him up as the dime linebacker but that's not what he's limited to he can do so much other so many other things on the field and I think that you know, he's grown his game. Clayus Campbell is a great still, you know, even to this day, you know, he's, he's kind of up there in age, but has played really well this season. Great run stuff or can generate some pressure from the interior as well. They signed Justin Houston in the offseason is mm-hmm. kind of their big defensive acquisition. He's also played well, been a very nice mentor. Also to guys like Adafi Owe, the rookie first round pick. Tyus Bowser, who signed an extension with the Ravens last, or I guess this offseason. And then you have just, 
some other young talent, Justin Matawike, second-year defensive tackle, Brandon Stevens, who is now filling in for the injured Deshaun Elliott at safety, it feels like. Then the veterans. You have guys like Pernell McPhee, Brandon Williams, oh, who yeah. you know might be iffy to play this week. Jimmy Smith, who hasn't actually played a ton this week, to be completely honest. And also Tavon Young, who was one of the better slot cornerbacks in the entire NFL. They're using Chris Board, a linebacker, a converted safety, actually, in a bunch of different roles. So they have the players on this defense. They just haven't been able to put it together for the full season. But against Miami, I mean, they played really well. Yeah, yeah, uh, from what I understand. Um, actually, you know, to, I, the, the thing that was in my in my head there was – I wanted to ask about Lamar Jackson and how he's played because I know there's been a lot made about how he's developing as a as a passer uh, and throwing the ball. But one thing that I've also noticed is that you know is is has have the turnovers gone up for him this year or is it just something that's been kind of a problem you know all throughout his career and it's just being more made of it this season because I seem to to like you know he fumbles the ball uh, quite a bit or he did. Was it the Chiefs game, or or maybe it was the, no, it was the Raiders game where the, they just kept giving the Raiders chances to either get back in the game, and that's how they ended up losing things like that. I see he's got like five fumbles, he's thrown eight interceptions. Is is he is he a lot with the with the turnovers, or is that just kind of an epidemic that's happening this year? Uh, you know, I think they're up this year compared to what happened in his second and third seasons, okay. his rookie year when he was starting. Uh, over the back half of that year where he went 6-1 and one as a starter, he fumbled the ball a lot, a lot, a lot. He only had three interceptions, but he really wasn't – he wasn't throwing the football a ton, if we're being honest, during his rookie season. The right. rate That was a Joe Flacco-led offense. And when you talk about comparisons, you compare Lamar Jackson and Joe Flacco, those are pretty opposite players overall. Yeah, that's, so That's one in, extreme or the other right there. Right. In, in seven games started for Jackson, he had 12 fumbles. So he he fumbled the football. Those those weren't all lost fumbles, but he did put the ball on the ground 12 times. This year, the fumbles, you mentioned the Raiders game. That definitely was his highest fumble output of the year. But that, that really hasn't been a thing. The interceptions have been a bit more common this year. You know, for example, in 15 games last season, Jackson threw nine interceptions in 376 pass attempts he's thrown the ball a lot more this season so far through nine games only or through nine games 309 attempts so you know he's throwing the ball more he's he's going to throw more interceptions that's what it is but I think people are seeing that and they're saying oh you know he had nine all last year and eight this year through through nine games but it's a product of an offense and that's why for you know looking at stats I don't usually tend to put as much weight on the total yards or you know anything like that for rushing and passing I tend to look at averages because it's a product of an offense and a scheme. So, you know, if a team throws the ball more, they're going to have more passing yards. If they run the ball more, they're going to have more rushing yards. You know, yeah. it's, it's just a product of an offense. So the interceptions, it looks from a pure box score perspective, like he's turning the ball over more. But at the same time, he's just he's throwing the football more and he's throwing the football more effectively, to mm -hmm. be completely honest. And I think that's really something that people aren't taking away from that. You know, if you're looking at a pure box score perspective, he has the exact same completion percentage right now that he did in 2020, 64.4%. So he's doing it. He's throwing the football more. He, he's done a lot of good things there. But I know people look at the turnovers and say, oh, he's, he's turning over a lot more. But I think it's more because he's just throwing the ball more, and that's where the interceptions are coming from. Sure. So he's still learning as a passer, you know, the making the reads and, and the throws and, and, and things like that. So when you're going through those growing pains, there are going to be some mistakes from time to time. 
No, yeah, absolutely. Jackson is still such a – he's 24 years old. He's such a young player, yeah, you know, still yeah. learning. And I think for for a player like Lamar Jackson, his MVP season for him really put expectations on him that sure. he will never be able to shake. And, look, he's a player that can live up to those expectations. He's, he's a phenomenal football player. I don't want to discredit him or anything. But Lamar Jackson is somebody who I've ne- I've never seen a player – who, you know, when when the Ravens lose, regardless of whose fault it is, it all seemingly comes back to Jackson. He gets mm-hmm. plenty of praise, and I totally understand that. But, you know, it's like Lamar Jackson is never allowed to have a bad game without it being, all right, is he figured out? Or, sure. you know, is, is his play sustainable? Or, you know, should the Ravens bench him? Or the crazy takes like that where it's like, how are you benching Lamar Jackson? But people say it. So, you know, I, and then the comparisons, you know, it seems like every week it's a comparison for Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow. Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield. So you know, I give a lot of credit for Jackson for just keeping his head down continuing to improve and, you know, being such a young player, having to face all that criticism from uh, on a weekly basis for any NFL player. Honestly, it can be a tough job, but Jackson, I think, handles it really well. And, and my, my thing with that is I just think he's continuing to learn and grow and he'll continue to do so for a long time. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Guys, Spotify Green Room is free, audio-only social media platform for sports fans. Start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. Talk with other sports fans, insiders, athletes, and executives in real time. Join in on conversations with me at Club 34-7 and have a chance to be featured on your favorite podcast. I'll be hosting rooms every week. Uh, for Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern. Come through and talk to me live on Club 34-7. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app in the iOS App Store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. Follow me at Larry D-E-E to be notified when my room goes live. And again, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, you can join me on the Spotify Green Room for Club 34-7. Come in, let's have a conversation, let's talk bears, let's talk whatever you want. But in order to do that, you got to download the Spotify Green Room anywhere you get your apps. <laughs> this episode is also brought to you by Symbol. Symbol is the sports stock market that allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. There are two ways to make money on Symbol. First, every time a team you own wins, you earn a cash win payout. Second, just like the stock market, if you think a team is going to increase in value, you can buy low and sell high for a profit. Use promo code SD, as in sports drink, to make your first deposit risk-free. That means even if you lose money or just decide the market isn't for you, Symbol will refund your initial deposit, no questions asked. <laughs> yeah, because the, the, with, with Lamar Jackson, he's kind of this, um, you know, this new age uh, kind of quarterback who runs just as well as he can throw, if not better uh, than he can throw. It's what got him a Heisman in his freshman year at uh, at Louisville. Um, you know, looking at him in college, you didn't think he would make it in the NFL, not because he didn't have the talent, but because I don't know, man. If I don't know if he was just playing with Giants in Louisville, but he looked like he weighed about 130 pounds when he played at Louisville. I mean, he must have really hit the weights in his junior and senior year, or you know, whatever his last years. Uh, were uh, at Louisville to be someone who can handle doing what he does at the NFL level. And also uh, for every Lamar Jackson, you have half a dozen 
uh, Vince Young's and, uh, you know, Robert Griffin's and, and things like that who had an MO of, of being, you know, running quarterbacks or being athletes, you know, being just as dangerous throwing the ball as they were running only for it to last maybe a year or two at the most before they were figured out. And, you know, all of a sudden their careers had fallen and fallen apart. So I think, you know, I, I believe that I'm sure you do that Lamar Jackson has the talent to transcend all of that and be the exception and not the rule as far as, you know, the unfortunate history those running quarterbacks uh, have had. And, and I believe that as well about uh, Justin Fields. It, it's not as heavy in the running with uh, as Lamar, you know, as far as Lamar Jackson's reputation uh, is, but it's definitely a huge uh, part of his game, but one that I think that, um, you know, the, he's as effective as, or will be as effective enough as a passer to, to outlive that. And, and I think we're watching Lamar Jackson grow into that as well. Yeah, and Jackson has talked before about, you know, he likes throwing the football. You know, he doesn't want to be labeled as his running quarterback. And, you know, he's not one. He throws the football very effectively. But as you mentioned, you know, his style of play is somewhat new or unconventional for a lot of people in kind of that adjustment period of people saying, oh, the quarterback can run and, and throw and he can be effective in doing it and have longevity. You know, it's something people haven't really seen since a Michael Vick player mm-hmm. who even himself didn't have the longest longevity when he was on the football field. So, you know, there are always going to be the questions of how long can he keep it up? What happens when, when his athleticism goes away? Da, da, da. But, you know, he's showing and he with him throwing the football more, he is effective doing it. And I don't know whether it's just people wanting to be right and are waiting for that moment or still doubting or whatnot. But to say that he's not effective in doing both and being such a good quarterback running and throwing the football, like he's not a perfect player. As we talked about, he still has areas to improve. He, his deep ball accuracy isn't the best right now. He can sometimes make poor decisions running into sacks. There are some things that he has to be better at, and he knows that. But for what he's been able to do, you mentioned the, the whole putting on weight. He's put on some muscle since coming into the NFL. He's really you know, kind of worked with his body, and he's he's smart with his body too. It's not like he's going out there – you know, people look to Cam Newton and all the hits that he took, especially at a young age. You know, you could talk about Michael Vick the same way. And Lamar Jackson doesn't really do that. He gets out of bounds. He's smart with his body. He gets down. So that helps. It only helps in his longevity. So I think that for Jackson, he's somebody who will continue to set the set the league on fire as he continues to improve and grow and as this offense grows with him and as the Ravens grow with him as well. Yeah, and the reason that I asked about the turnover thing was – not so much because, you know, he's turned into a turnover machine or, or anything like that. But, you know, you're playing against a team this Sunday that uh, is very scarce with the turnovers. The, uh, the scoop and score that we had against the Steelers on Monday Night Football was the first turnover since week five against the Raiders. It had been a while since we'd forced one, and it was special teams uh, that did it. So the defense is still looking for one. So I was wondering if this was becoming an issue for Jackson that like, Hey, maybe the bears can steal a possession, uh, or two, uh, from, uh, from Jackson and, and the Ravens to try to give ourselves uh, a chance of being in a ball game that we're fate were favored to lose at home, uh, in. So I was just wondering if it was, uh, something that's an issue for the Ravens in general. And Lamar Jackson is adding to that this year, or if it was just uh kind of a, a fluke kind of season. Yeah, it's, it's, no, it's a, it's a completely valid question, and the Ravens haven't been the highest turnover defense either, so we, we kind of run into some similarities there with those two teams. But I, I do think that, for the most part, Jackson, yeah, he's thrown a couple more interceptions this season. At least he's on a pace to throw more, but at the same time, it's just he's, he's throwing the football more. So let's talk about your coach, um, because this is a, a guy that's had 
that kind of came out of nowhere. Like who I didn't even know there was another Harbaugh brother. And then you hired him as your head coach. Was it 10, 12 years ago? Was it 08? Something like that. 2008. Yeah. 2008. You finally, I was like, who the hell is John Harbaugh? I was like, Oh, he was a special teams coach for the Eagles. Special teams. Well, who the hell does that? Who, who makes the special teams coordinator, your head coach. And you know, you guys are in the playoffs automatically. You're in the Super Bowl. Couple years later, you're winning it, and and all that kind of stuff. He's been there forever. He's had all kinds of uh, success, but you know, is is it been is it been too long? Is it kind of looked like he he got you this far? Maybe it's time to take somebody else. I mean, then you guys are six and three. This is probably not even part of the discussion right now. But say you know, with this ugly stretch you guys have coming after the Bear game, say for just for argument's sake that goes sideways on you. You end up with a losing record. You don't make the playoffs. Is there a discussion about replacing uh, John Harbaugh or we'll be able to run it back next year? And this is an anomaly as far as the results. You know, I don't think there's discussion about firing John Harbaugh. I think if you're to, you're to look at a firing, a potential firing, you're looking at Greg Roman. Mm. You know, Roman has been someone who's been highly scrutinized ever since his you know, really good year as an offensive coordinator in 2019 with the Ravens. He did not have a good year in 2020. I thought, again, he's been better in 2021, but, you know, it's just it feels like there's an extra gear, and it's a legitimate question of if Roman is the guy to get that offense to that extra gear. Now, Roman is a great coordinator, but at the same time, is he the right fit for this Ravens offense? A coordinator who you look back to his time in San Francisco with Colin Kaepernick and Buffalo with a player like Tyrod Taylor, you know, those quarterbacks each had one really, really good season. And then the next year, Roman just could not duplicate his success. The rushing offenses have always been there for him. The passing offenses have not. Now, the Ravens are passing the football more effectively this year. But if Roman kind of goes back into what he's been doing, or he, at least he was doing in 2020, it could be you know, the blame has to fall somewhere. And I think it falls on Roman's shoulders squarely. And in terms of Harbaugh, I just think there are too many injuries on this team to assess mm. what he can do with this type of roster because we saw what he could do in 2020. They lost a couple pieces and now we're seeing in 2021, they, they had built, I think a really solid roster and it's just been gutted. Absolutely gutted. You know, it's a side note is I, I'm a Denver Nuggets fan and it's the same thing with the head coach there and Michael Malone, who has done a great job with that organization has really turned into a, a player's coach, somebody who the organization loves, but you know, it's about the, Oh, how far can you take them? But at the same time, they don't have a lot of their stars right now. Jamal Murray tore his ACL. So it's like, it's kind of the same thing where the injuries that a team has, you can't really get a read on, on what a coach can do with that roster. So I think that'd be the main reason why if the Ravens were even considering firing John Harbaugh, it really wouldn't be a discussion point for me. I think Harbaugh is a great coach. I think he's exactly what the players need, but it's a matter of him showing continuous growth with this roster. But this year, you know, with all the injuries they've had with all their top end talent going out, how much of a run can you make where, you know, where we're about to find out, but this team has shown they're resilient. You know, John Harbaugh has been a big part of what they've done ever since 2008. And I think he has a couple more years at the very minimum in Baltimore, if things don't work out, but if things do work out, then I think he has a lot longer. Right. Yeah. And I've, I was, um, you know, kind of always kind of had my eye on the Ravens uh, this year, especially after what you guys endured uh, in the preseason. I remember making a, a joke, um, during the preseason that um, I think um, like Montgomery or something had hurt his finger or something like that. And, and I was like, well, there's not going to be any running backs to, to sign. The Ravens signed them all because they lost like two guys in one practice 
Uh, it was like, I don't, was it like a Black Monday or Black Tuesday or whatever it was that one day that you lost like three people to ACL injuries uh, in training camp and, and, you know, you had to bring this guy. And I mean, that's why your, your, your running back room sounds like a list of household names as far as running backs go with, with Devontae Freeman and, and, you know, you just released, uh, uh, Le'Veon Bell and, you know, you've got a couple more guys, uh, in there and not to mention the guys you're missing, uh, due to injuries, uh, and everything. So it was, uh, it was, I've been always been impressed about the Ravens. Like I've always kind of, uh, kept an eye on them, especially during the Ozzie Newsome days. I think you and I talked about this over the summer was how I always marveled at how well he did in the draft by doing nothing. He wasn't like Ryan Pace, who's got to be super aggressive and go and get his guy and give up trade assets in order to to do it and everything. It always just seemed like Ozzie Newsom would just sit back and wait, and the guy that he wanted all along would fall right into his lap, even though we're picking in the bottom half of the of the of the round and and, and all that kind of stuff. The Ravens have always kind of been a, a fascinating franchise, uh, you know, for me uh, because of. Uh, of things like that. Like they've been able to endure, you know, losing half the roster to injury in training camp and somehow they still managed to start five and one and they look like the best team in the AFC and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So I've always kind of um, been kind of uh, impressed with the Ravens and how they seem to roll with the punches and other teams kind of like my bears. One injury can just destroy the whole thing. Yeah. The Ravens pride themselves on in the draft, at least Best player available. That is one of the strategies they use a lot. You know, they'll draft a player. You know, example. Of this is J.K. Dobbins, where they didn't necessarily they didn't need a running back. They had Mark Ingram. They had Gus Edwards, but they were looking to the future, and it ultimately turned out to be a really, really nice pick for them. And they also obviously they draft for need as well. It's not just they draft the best player available every time, and they're drafting five quarterbacks every year. But you know, they do a good job of looking not just to the present but to the future as well, drafting players who can help in the immediate and also down the line in a couple seasons when maybe a veteran player retires or, or his production falls off a cliff. So that's where you look at a, a season like this where the Ravens have injury after injury after injury. You know, they prepped for this two years ago or three years ago, whatever, because they've drafted, they've signed undrafted free agents. They've been one of the better undrafted free agent signing teams in the NFL. They, they've just really, they put a lot of thought into their draft classes, not just from, uh, all right, who's going to help us this year, but who's going to help a lot further down the line. Yeah, I wonder if maybe there's a seminar they could hold for other scouting departments and, um, you know, general managers uh, and such to maybe, you know, tip the hand a little bit to kind of show what they're uh, doing. Because like what you said, they seem to always be looking ahead uh, to the future. And, um, you know, you see a lot of uh, teams where, well, like the Bears, we'll just talk about the Bears. We seem to get lucky. Like Jason Peters, who would have imagined that he would have worked out as well as he has uh, he's we're going into week 11. He's still healthy or at least as healthy as a 39 year old guy that's playing in his 18th season can be. He's still our starting left tackle. He is the best offensive lineman we have on the team uh, right now, which I don't know if that's more praise for him or negative towards the guys that we have uh, kind of thing. But he's kind of an anomaly. He's one we, we you know, we literally signed him off the street. He was in a on a boat fishing or on a dock fishing you know, in August when we called him to see when Juan Castillo called him, see if he'd be interested in playing uh, for us when we had to put Tevin Jenkins on IR uh, and everything. So, you know, it'd be nice if, if the Bears could be as prepared for, you know, a rainy day as the Ravens appear to be from time to time. No, it is an art drafting 
is an art for teams, and it's, it's really difficult, you know, for every NFL team. There are going to be misses every year. There are going to be hits every year. Sometimes, most of the time, honestly, there are more misses than there are hits. You get those yeah. draft classes for every team that are phenomenal. The Ravens had a phenomenal 2018 class that included Lamar Jackson, Hayden Hurst, Orlando Brown. Uh, they got Mark Andrews, Deshaun Elliott, Bradley Bozeman. They got a lot of players in that draft. But, mm. you know, 2019 is a little up in the air right now for them. So the Ravens, it's been a really, they've been a really nice drafting franchise. There are a few that you really know they're going to get it right most years. The Ravens seemingly are one of those franchises. They're not perfect. No team is perfect in terms of anything. But, right. you know, it's it's been, I think, a really nice journey to have them and have trust in the front office, the scouts, the personnel and everybody who's involved with that process to know that for the most part, they're going to make smart picks and do a really good job with their classes for, you know, years to come. And those players will have impacts for a long time. So let's talk about this game uh, on Sunday. If, uh, if I'm, uh, if I'm the, uh, if I'm the, uh, well, I am the bears. How do I win this game on Sunday? What do I need to do offensively? What do I need to do defensively to, uh, to come away with it? And, um, you know, how so can I kneecap Justin Tucker so he's not kicking 60-yard field goals to win the game on Sunday? Yeah, well, Tucker, Tucker, you might have a difficult time stopping. You know, get the hands up, block those kicks. The Dolphins <laughs> did it. Uh, the Dolphins did it against the Ravens on Thursday night. A little a little tip of the football caused him to miss one, I believe. So that's one way to stop him. But, you know, if I'm the Bears... On offense, I, I try to take advantage of the short passing game. You know, the Ravens are a bend-don't-break unit, and sometimes they will play off in situations where you think, why aren't they pressing at the line? You know, why are they doing that? So if they take what's in front of them, they can drive down the field a little bit. You know, they, they can do a, a lot of good things, and the Ravens' defense has been playing better as of late. It has not been perfect. You know, there have been a lot of struggles. But I do think, especially that Miami game, if they can take what they were able to do, in that game and take it to Chicago, I think they'll be in decently good shape. Now, big plays have been a big issue for the Ravens' defense this year. They've given up a lot of 20-plus-yard plays, 40-plus-yard plays. So if the if the Bears want to kind of start off with that short game and try to take a couple deep shots to get a big play or two, this Ravens' defense has been susceptible to them. So they could do that. If I'm the Bears on defense, I'm blitzing. I'm blitzing Lamar Jackson because, you know, the Ravens have talked about it so far. They've said, yeah, you know what? We weren't prepared against Miami's blitz, and we're going to we're gonna get it right. We're going to do it. And if I'm the Bears, I'm saying, yeah, all right, we'll prove it. And, and I'm blitzing. I'm starting off the game being very aggressive and seeing if they really can handle those cover zero looks. And if they get a couple of big plays, you know, I'm, I'm backing up, and I'm saying, all right, you know, all right, we believe you. <laughs> you know, we're not going to. We're not going to continue to force that down, you know, the Ravens' throat. So if they can also prevent the Ravens from getting off to a fast start, fast starts have been an issue with the Ravens' offense this season. It can change the momentum of the game. We, we saw that in Miami on Thursday. So those are a couple areas where I think Chicago can take advantage of the Ravens and really force them to work for a win or maybe even knock them off and have them lose. Are they uh, like um... – I mean, with with you know how they've been or what what's been their calling card as far as running the game or running the ball, uh, I should say that's been where more of the success has been uh, historically. You know, during the Lamar Jackson era, are they a you know slow slow grind, you know, milk the clock kind of thing? Or are they more of a big play offense these days now that Lamar is expanding his game in, into passing more? Um. You know, I think that they want to take more deep shots. They haven't done it a ton this season. Like, they have done it, but it hasn't been 
totally there for all these games. I think if they had it their way, like they want to, they want to run the clock, they want to play that ball control offense, but they just haven't been in the situations to do so a ton this season, where they've had to have those come from behind victories, which have been very impressive. But at the same time, you can't run ball control offense in that situation. You have to push down the field. You have to win the football game that way. So if the Ravens get out to an early lead, and this is where it goes back to having the Ravens start off fast, if they can get out to a 14-3 to lead or a 17-9 to lead or something like that, and it's halftime, the Ravens can start to kind of go to that ball control offense where they can literally take up 9, 10, 11 minutes per drive. And mm. if they can get points out of those drives – then it makes opposing offenses really, really have to work and start to really become one-dimensional. And that's why I think the Ravens have their most success. But at the same time, without J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, some of their offensive linemen, it's been a bit more difficult to do that. So I'd say it's, it's, it's a balanced unit this year, to be honest. You know, they've done some good things in the passing game. They've done some good things in the running game, despite them not really being the same team running the football this year. I mean, they're, they're number one in yards in rushing. They're number five in yards per attempt in rushing this season. So it's not like it's fallen off a cliff completely. But if you watch the games, you see it's just not the same. So I think Baltimore, yes, it's, it's a balanced offensive unit. And then finally, I wanted to ask, you know, have – for the for the teams that have been able to maybe even you know as the old saying goes you can't stop them you can only hope to contain them uh, kind of thing the, the the teams that have been able to contain um, Jackson were were they using a spy to do that was it just that everybody's playing gap control and making sure that they stay where they stay home as opposed to following and over pursuing and, and you know allowing Lamar to exploit that or or anything like that I'm kind of thinking you know if if maybe that's a role that we would want maybe Roquan Smith playing uh, this Sunday where it's like you've got Lamar Jackson, wherever he goes, you go, and that's that's how we're going to win this game on Sunday. You know, I, I think in order to be the Ravens, you have to play disciplined defense, mm-hmm. and you, you can't abandon your gap because Lamar Jackson can make you pay. You know, a defense can do everything right against the play on the Ravens' offense, and Lamar Jackson will still burn you for 30 yards. So you have to really make sure you're disciplined playing in your gaps. You can use a spy in those situations. I think, you know, it wouldn't hurt to have a spy. We have seen teams use spies on Lamar Jackson. Sometimes they're effective. Sometimes they're not as effective because Jackson is such a phenomenal athlete, and he just, you know, he's he's unbelievable. So uh, I think that for the teams that have had success stopping Jackson, it's been more of the we're going to overwhelm him, pressure him, make him uncomfortable in the pocket because once quarterbacks get uncomfortable in that pocket, they have to – roll out or they feel like the pocket's closing in on him for any for any quarterback, whether it's Lamar Jackson or somebody else, it can really throw off a game. So if they can get in his mind early with those blitzes and, and blitzing him effectively, it could cause him to be a bit more antsy and really maybe make a couple of mistakes. But, you know, if he's calm and comfortable in there, he might not even have to run and that spy not, might not even have to be used in those situations if he's not breaking the pocket and making plays happen. So, he, he can do a lot of great things. I think that for a, a Chicago defense or any defense, just playing discipline is the number one key. Okay. Sounds good. And then just for my own personal uh, knowledge, how are you looking at this uh, schedule? You know, take Sunday's game into account or take it off the board, whatever you want to do. Those last seven games, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cleveland. And this is something you and I talked about over the summer was that unique spot uh, that Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cleveland stretch. Cleveland's got a bye week between those matchups. So it's literally Baltimore, bye week, Baltimore for the Browns. And trust me, this is a time, this is a season right now where the, the Browns could definitely use 
any advantage they can get. They're five and five. Baker's struggling. They're they're you know they're not the team that we all thought they were poised to become uh, this year. But you have basically back to back games with them. You have both games with the Steelers uh, left, and you have a rematch with the with the Bengals. How do you think this shakes out for the Ravens? You know, I think this team is too talented not to make the playoffs. This is a team that has shown their resiliency, the ability to really mishmash guys together on both units and play really sound football. They have guys who believe in each other. They have coaches who believe in each other. You know, this whole team, you know, I know they struggled against Miami on Thursday, and there are plenty of things to learn. It was very disappointing. But I think that stretch, they they lose – Probably two or three games in that stretch, in my opinion. I think they split with Cleveland. You, you talk about the Cleveland-Pittsburgh-Cleveland-Baltimore-by-Baltimore. Baltimore. I think Baltimore wins in Week 12, loses in Week 14. And then you look at the two NFC opponents, and those are games that are a bit iffy to me. Los Angeles, you know, they did not look good on Monday night, but, you know, I still think they're talented. And then you have Green Bay, who, you know, Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers if he's on the football field. And then you have a bunch of other, you know, Devontae Adams is – insane so I think if I'm looking at losses I'm probably looking at Cleveland in week 14 Green Bay and Los Angeles but I could see them only losing two of those games so you know finishing around you know 12 and 5 11 and 6 and those those 17 game season records are always going to get me but I, I feel like around there is where I expect this team I think in a division like the AFC North that's enough you know, I think it could be a close call all the way down to the wire, but if they can do that, I think Baltimore is definitely in playoff position. You know, I'd be shocked if they didn't make the playoffs with an eleven and five or twelve and six record, but or whatever the seventeen. I told you they're going to get me, but I do <laughs> think that for this Ravens team, they have the potential to make a deep run. Although I know it's definitely not as likely with the injuries, and with but with the AFC being so wide open right now, you have yeah. seemingly a team that is on top every week. You know, people are talking about the Titans and the Chiefs and the Ravens and the Browns and the Bengals and the Chargers. It's just like all the, all these teams have their have their time at the top. So with that being said, I think, you know, 12 and 5, 11 and 6 is right in that sweet spot from where I think this Ravens team could finish. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting division that you guys are in. I'm I'm looking at my little board. Uh it's got the records and everything on it. The there's a half a game between Baltimore and Pittsburgh thanks to the tie. Uh, there's a game between Baltimore and Cincinnati. They're six, you're six and three. They're five and four. And then there's a game and a half between you and the Browns, who are in fourth place at five and five. So the worst team in the division is at five hundred ten weeks into the season. So we got seven games left. A lot of football left to be played. And according to your schedule, there's a lot of football left to be played against each other uh, still to go. Um, your schedule is a lot like ours. Like we had. I think two division games in the first nine weeks of the season. And then the, the seven, eight weeks that we have left, we have what four, four of our division games uh, to wrap up uh, the, the year. So there's still a lot to be said about where, you know, our place in the NFC North and uh, our place. And I mean, we're, we're going to have to go, you know, eight, no, I think to make the playoffs, we're three and six. Right now, I mean, even going six and two puts us at nine and eight. I don't know if that's going to be good enough uh, in the NFC. It may be. Who knows? But um, you know, with with uh, with how things are shaking up in the AFC North uh, right now, uh, it's going to come all the way down to the wire. Because, like I said, you've got a game and a half separating first place from fourth place right now. So it's 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 going to be wild to see how it all shakes out, especially since you're playing literally all of them 
you, you know, you play the Steelers twice, the Cleveland twice, and you got a, you know, a rematch with the, the Bengals, like what, week 15, week 16, something like that. So it's like after this week, it's all important games from here on out. Yeah, they, they have a lot of good good games coming up, good opponents coming up. It, they'll be battle-tested. You know, if they make the playoffs, they'll be battle-tested heading into the to the big games in January and, and February. So well, will they, to see. will they be battle-tested or battle-weary when they get to – will they just be there to get picked off in the wild-card round because they've, you know, gone through hell just to get that far? Yeah, maybe a little of both. But, yeah. you know, I think, I, th- I think teams do have to play those games and have those – tough rough games against division rivals especially if you're finishing out the year like that you know it's going to be a journey it's going to be long it's going to be tiring and exhausting for sure but you know if you can come out of those games with a couple of really nice wins i think it gives them confidence for the stress run in the playoffs you know and as we've been kind of talking about throughout the uh throughout the conversation here is that where the afc is right now i mean even even though tennessee is clearly number one they're eight and two right now they're what two games better than the next best team uh right now it's it's really going to come down in the AFC to who's playing the best football at the end. Kind of reminiscent uh, of like when the Giants won the Super Bowl the last two times. They were 10-6 and six and 9-7 and seven and won the Super Bowl. Why? Because they were playing the best football at the right time. So I think that's what's going to determine the AFC is like not the team that finishes 14-3 and three or, you know, 13-4 and four or whatever uh, it is, but the team that comes – ready to play on Sunday and gets the job done, playing the best football, playing together uh, as a team, that's what's going to win uh, the AFC. It's not going to be the best team wins, at least. Th- th- that's not what I'm seeing happening in the AFC this year. Yeah, you know, once you get to those playoffs and you get into January, it's a whole new season. And any team, regardless of how well they played, how not well they played, you know, the Ravens during their second Super Bowl season during 2012-2013 Lost, I believe, it was three of their last four games. They kind of limped into the postseason, and they won the Super Bowl. You know, they had that magical Super Bowl run. So I, I do believe that the Ravens, even if they do go into the playoffs a little bit tired, a little bit weary or whatnot, however the season plays out, they still have the talent to do a lot of good things. Lamar Jackson has won a playoff game. He got that chip off of his shoulder, but he's still playing with – 20,000 more so he has a lot to prove and so does this Ravens team they're hungry they have high expectations and high goals for themselves and with the way this AFC has played out this season I do believe that this team has a really good shot to achieve those goals but at the same time the injuries will play a part whether the season is successful or not for them at the end of it we'll be talking about whether they were able to, whether they were able to overcome those injuries or whether they couldn't do it yeah so that's kind of the point I was making was that when you get to the end of the season it really won't matter whose record is uh, is what. It's just going to matter who's who's playing the best football, and that literally means that you know if you're in the as long as you're in the tournament, you got a shot. And I think with as wide open as the AFC is right now, I think that's how the playoffs are going to turn out. So if the Ravens make the playoffs, they got just as good a shot as anybody uh, to be representing the AFC in uh, in Los Angeles in February. Oh, absolutely, yeah, it's. You know, we, we've seen teams get counted out very early in the playoffs, even before the games start. And all of a sudden, they're they're making a Super Bowl run. They're having a magical run to the post or in the postseason. So, you know, even with these injuries, we'll we'll see. We'll see how much this team wants it. You know, they want it very badly. They they they've talked about winning a Super Bowl for years and years now. Lamar Jackson wants nothing more than to win a Super Bowl, not for himself, but for his teammates. You know, he's he's a great football player, but an even person, a better person off the football field. So. 
any team can win the, the big dance, the big game, and I'm excited to see what the Ravens can do and how far they can go. Well, I'm interested to see it. I'm looking forward to the game uh, on Sunday, um, sort of, because like I said, our record coming off of the bye under Matt Nagy is atrocious. So I think you already got that, uh, you know, as a strike against us uh, going into uh, this game uh, on Sunday. But, um, you know, we play better at home than we do on the road, and we're at home on Sunday. I don't know if uh, you guys are road warriors or not and uh, how that all factors in. But uh, it's going to be a fun game to see Lamar Jackson up close uh, for the first time since like we literally played against Lamar in his very first game ever in the preseason in the Hall of Fame game back in 2018. Haven't seen him since, but that was before Lamar Jackson was Lamar Jackson, MVP uh, of the league uh, and everything. So uh, be interested to see how the game goes on uh, Sunday. And at the very least, hopefully we can get through it without ridiculous penalties and without more injuries to either of our squads. No, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to a good game, and I think that – you know, it has the potential to be one of the better ones of the week. You know, I know people look at the Ravens who are coming off that loss to to Miami and the Bears who have Matt Nagy as their head man and people are saying, oh, is he going to be like, when is he going to be fired? When is he going to be fired? But <laughs> I don't know. I think this game has the potential to be a good one. I believe so as well. Uh, Kevin, uh, if we want to keep track uh, with you uh, during the uh, during the other exciting, like this exciting stretch you guys have coming up after the Bear game, uh, how can we do that? Yeah, so I am on Twitter at KOSTRIKER34. I also host and produce the Locked On Ravens podcast. We put out Ravens content five days a week, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Eastern time. So I'll be doing a a game preview show for this Bears game, a a game recap show for the Bears game. So if you want to tune into the Locked On Ravens podcast, you can do that. I also am the managing editor for the Ravens Wire for USA Today Sports, the sport management group there, sport media group. So I think that... You know, if, if you're looking for Ravens content, I, I, I do both written and audio content over there for Ravens covering this team. So a lot of Ravens-related content for me. Yes. Uh, Kevin Ostriker eats, drinks, sleeps, poops, Ravens. Uh, it's just coming, flowing out of you in all directions. Thanks so much for being on the show. We'll talk to you again real soon, man. Absolutely. Thanks so much. As always, want to thank our uh, guest, Kevin Ostriker from Locked on Ravens for uh, hanging out with us, talking a little Bears-Ravens uh, and then some uh, during this discussion. I mean, not only is it an uneven, has it been an uneven yet successful season for the Ravens, it's an uneven yet successful season for the AFC in general. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at my uh, tote board here where I have all the games and magnets and stuff, and they have, let's see, 6, 8, 12. 12 teams out of 16 at 500 or better. Yeah. They only have four teams with losing records. The, uh, the Dolphins, ironically enough, the Jets, the Jaguars, and the Texans. Everybody else has five wins or more going into this week. So, yeah, the AFC's getting it done. <laughs> so the, that whole in-the-hunt graphic for the for the playoff run, which begins once you get into the second half of the season, is going to be pretty heavy on the AFC side uh, for now because even mathematically, Jacksonville and Miami and 
aren't uh, eliminated just yet, but, uh, you know, they're already three-plus games behind the teams that are in the hunt uh, at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's been an up-and-down year for the AFC. There's no clear front-runner. I think the Titans, with their record, they look like they want to be that team, but they've lost a game to the Jets uh, this year. So, it it's it like like we were talking about. It really comes down to who's playing the best football when it matters at the end of the season and getting yourself into the tournament altogether. The Ravens are good enough to be one of those teams, but with their uneven performances, you know, can they show up in the playoffs and get it done? That's going to be the real question for literally everyone in the AFC, not just the Ravens, because. The the Kansas City Chiefs who who won again who won on Sunday to be to to find, to become six and four to to finally take over the AFC West in first place uh, and everything but they're six and four the Chargers are five and four the Raiders are five and four and the and the Broncos are five and five so there's literally one game difference between first place and fourth place because the Chargers and the Raiders would both be a half game back of the um of the Chiefs and the 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 Broncos are only a full game back. That's that's the AFC right now. It, that's how close it is from first to worst in in these divisions. I mean the, the you know it, it's like the Chiefs could lose this Sunday and then all of a sudden be back in third or fourth place again if the other teams in the division win. That's how tight that race is in the AFC. So it's uh, there's no room for error, and we heard what the Ravens' schedule looks like from here on out. the The two games they don't have against division foes going down the going down the stretch here are against the Rams and the Packers, who are two of the best teams in the NFC. So the schedule does not get any easier after they play this game against the Bears uh, on Sunday. So as far as the the health of their future record and their playoff possibilities, they need to win on Sunday. But they've also played like a team that the Bears could pick off and surprise. Um, it's just that coming off of the bye, not a lot of faith that that's going to happen. So it was going to be a tough uphill battle to begin with. But then you throw in the fact that Nagy couldn't get anything ready before the bye after a two-week bye week. Um, yeah, I'm going glass half empty on this one Nagy has yet to do it and uh, I believe that he won't until he does you know what I'm saying but uh, we'll talk more about that in the deep dive and uh, we'll talk more about the injury report we'll get news and notes we'll do uh, we'll do um, keys to the game and uh, get you ready uh, for this matchup on Sunday between the Bears and the Ravens and then things get interesting for us um what I'm, how the release schedule is going to work next week with the, with the quick turnaround because the Bears play th- again three days later uh, on Thursday uh, for Thanksgiving. So I'm already talking to Jeremy Reisman. Um, you know, I've already got that talk set up uh, for Monday to uh, be released on Tuesday or Wednesday, and and I think this is how the schedule is going to work. This is what I'm. Bear up and bear down will be out on Sunday night. Like that's going to be almost like a bear, like a knee jerk reaction thing to uh, after the game. We'll do the bear up and bear down 
that will be out almost immediately after the game is over. As soon as I can crank it out, it will be out on Sunday. And then Monday will be almost the, the same thing as far as uh, practically a knee-jerk reaction review episode. So that can drop. I'll be talking to Jeremy on Monday so that the preview episode can drop on Tuesday. We'll do the deep dive on Wednesday to get you ready for the game on Thursday. And then when we do the reviews, that will, uh, yeah, maybe that's what uh, we'll do. The We'll do Bear Up and Bear Down to be released on Black Friday. And then uh, Saturday will be the review. And then I'll have another mini buy until we're getting ready for the, um, I believe, the Cardinals coming up after the holiday. So right now that's what we're looking at. That's subject to change based on how the uh, how the weekend goes and, and everything. I'm going to be uh, traveling this weekend to go home to visit the family so that I'm in town and home with them for the uh, Thanksgiving holiday. So, um, But that's the tentative schedule right now. Be on the lookout for Bear Up and Bear Down on Sunday night, I mean, could be late Sunday afternoon, like before the uh, before the late games are over. Bear up and bear down could be released, and then first thing Monday morning, the uh, review uh, of the Bears Ravens games will be up, and then we'll go forward uh, from there. We got to squeeze it all in, and we got uh, less time uh, to do it in. So that's the schedule: bear up and bear down on Sunday night, uh, deep dive review on Monday. Jeremy Reisman and his preview uh, interview on Tuesday, deep dive review on Wednesday to get ready for Bears-Lions on Thursday. So, yeah, going to be an interesting uh, week, and uh, we'll see what the consequences or the fallout is for Nagy and company. Should we come up short against the Ravens, then we'll be on a five-game losing streak going into the Lions game and, you know, like I said, I was I was rooting for the Lions to win uh, against the Steelers last weekend because I don't want them winless on Thanksgiving Day. That does not bode well for the Bears. I don't care how bad a football team the Lions are. I don't want the Bears and shaky Matt Nagy going into the Detroit on Thanksgiving with a still a zero in the win column. And, um, you know, but the Lions have a chance to put a stop to it. They're playing the... Uh, the, the Browns on Sunday, and um, I think they're at home too. So, you know, we'll see. They they almost eked one out against the Ravens uh, in, in Detroit. Maybe they can uh, pull off a miracle against the Browns so that they're not winless when we play them next Thursday. Who knows? But anyway, that's the schedule. So uh, come back tomorrow for the deep dive review or preview to get ready for Bears-Ravens and then get ready for a whirlwind of shows that would normally be spread out over about five days or so that are going to be condensed to about two or three. So it's going to be a busy early part of the week for me, uh, but uh, it's going to be a blast getting ready. And uh, we've got Bears and Lions on Thanksgiving, which uh, you, you wish it wasn't always Bears and Lions. Maybe the Bears could, you know, get a different opponent or play the Cowboys for, for once. That would be interesting. We haven't done that since 2004. But, um, you know... We'll have that, and then I have a belly full of turkey and whatever else my dad and stepmom are going to conjure up this year. Should be a good time. Um, anyway, so come back tomorrow for the deep dive preview. We'll get you ready for Bears Ravens on Sunday. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been Bears Talk Underground.